The Spectator's prestigious Economic Innovator of the Year Award in partnership with Investec and now in their sixth year. Wherever you're based in the UK, we can't wait to hear about the success of your business and the impact you're making on the economy and society in 2023. Applications are now open and will close June 16th. To learn more and apply, please visit spectator.co.uk forward slash innovator. Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast, a series of discussions about American power, politics and society. On each episode, I will talk to an American expert or an expert on America about something that's going on in America in 2023. I am delighted to be joined here in London by a great American filmmaker, Oliver Stone, and a great Argentinian filmmaker, Fernando Solicin. And we're going to be talking about your new documentary, Nuclear Now, which is a very forceful argument about the need for nuclear power as the answer to the climate crisis. And Oliver, I thought I'd start with you by saying, you said that you, your mind was turned on this subject by a yeah. book called A Bright Future. Yeah. I had not been an activist in any way. It's not my nature. The 70s and the 80s, I was trying to make a living as a, as a screenwriter. And I, I heard all the protests against nuclear and went along with it, just, you know, mildly. Not And uh, as the climate crisis, we didn't know about that at that time. We didn't hear about climate change. And now we started to hear about it. And by the 2000s and so forth, Al Gore's book came along. Of course, we'd been warned about it in 1980s by the scientists, but nobody paid, I didn't pay attention. The Al Gore's book, uh, movie, uh, Inconvenient Truth, was very convincing about renewables, changing the way, getting the, the CO2 out of the air. That was the issue. Very strong impact and we did, we did, it changed the nature of the world. We had more conferences, Paris, peace, Paris talks and Copenhagen and all that. And, but the problem is that after 20 years, it's from 2000, I'm going in chunks from 1980 to 2000 and 2000 to 2020, it hasn't improved. The carbon dioxide levels have stayed the same and even increased. That's what makes no sense because everybody spent trillions of dollars now, trillions of dollars. Germany spent billions on renewables and it doesn't work mathematically. What's going, what's wrong? I'm just coming from the outside. I'm not an expert. I want to know. So that's what launched me into it. I read the book in 2019, A Bright Future by Josh Goldstein and by uh, Stefan Skvist, who's a Swedish nuclear engineer, scientist. And not easy reading. It's scientific, but it's fact, 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 fact. And it's very short and economical and commonsensical, basically. I optioned the book, and with Josh as my co-writer, we, 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 we wrote a movie that would be a movie, not a book, because the book doesn't translate as a film. So this is, the result of our effort is nuclear now, and I think it's a well-told story. <laughs> I'm congratulating myself, but it really is important to focus on what is nuclear energy, first place. People don't know. They don't understand the Marie Curie experiment. They don't, they don't understand what she did, what she found in radioactivity, and what Einstein confirmed, and what Enrico Fermi controlled in World War II with a beautiful experiment. Unfortunately, it came along with World War II, and of course, the bomb 
emerged. The bomb is the story, mm. the, the nuclear bomb. So that's what people think about. They conflated a nuclear bomb with nuclear power. There's no comparison because the nuclear power is a whole different processing of the nuclear energy. The, the bomb is made with enriched uranium, and people don't seem to understand the difference, but that is a huge difference because we had... In our, we had a nuclear explosion so in a civilian nuclear en- energy plant in Chernobyl in 1985, and we saw what it did, and we saw the radiation spread all over northern Europe. So that's, you know, it's probably a nightmare scenario. It's for the worst ever. But aside from that, and we go into depth onto all the accidents, Three Mile Island and uh, Fukushima, no one died. You know, the radiation, nothing. It was contained, or if it leaked, if it leaked, it was low. It became low-level radiation, and the Japanese population survived. People died in, from the tsunami and from the earthquake. That was a eighteen thousand people, or something like that. That's a lot of people, but that was all tsunami, earthquake. So people have conflated again nuclear, nuclear disaster, Fukushima, and of course they talk about radioactivity. We wanted to deal with all this stuff in this. And I'm going on too long, perhaps, for your podcast. No, no, but it's very, it's very I'm trying to thread this in a way that people might understand. It's very important to understand radioactivity because that is a main wrap against it. As well as, but anyway, I want to get to a larger point, which is all these obstacles came in the way of the development of nuclear energy, and that was seventies and eighties, and it, it continues to this day. But it's obviously weakened because the argument is bogus, specious. Yes, radioactivity is not what we think it is, and we go into depth about background radiation. We live in radiation. If I eat this banana I'm eating right now in front of you has got radiation in it. Everything's got radiation. The radiation is also a life belt for the world. It heats the planet. It keeps us warm. It, from, it keeps the cosmic rays. It protects us in so many ways. We don't, and people, of course, lie out on beaches. People go to cancer, have cancer experiments. They, they have radioactivity diagnostically. They have heavy doses of it. They survive. People fly around the world. They're at higher levels of radiation. They're fine. You know, there's all these stories you hear, but they don't work out. Mm. You hear about, oh, two-headed monsters. It's nonsense. And we go, it really has destroyed the progress that was made up until the, uh, at the turn of the century. The American society itself could have been nuclearized, mostly nuclearized. And I think many other countries would have followed. In reality, France followed, Sweden followed, Japan and Korea followed. Germany followed even, and Britain too. But by 1985, Chernobyl, the, 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 the progress was stopped. We stopped building. Three Mile Island, Chernobyl, Fukushima killed it. That was in two, the Germany stopped building. This was an unfortunate accident of history because if we had kept going, we'd, we wouldn't even be talking about climate change. It wouldn't be an issue. Yes. Climate, the, what is climate change? It's all the shit in the air, the waste in the air from oil, coal and methane gas that's what it is so that that is the waste that everyone talks about radioactive waste but that's nonsense it doesn't compare to anything that's going on now in the world instead of dealing with the waste that we have in the air and really doing something about co2 cleaning it out which is what we have to do it's a mobilization like world war ii effort is required so our film goes into the future of nuclear and and very strongly advocates building 
assembly line nuclear reactors, assembly line, like an airplane, building hundreds. China is building 170-some new reactors for $440 billion, and they build far more cheaply than, than the West does. So here we have $440 billion being put in by China. They're building, they're going to build 10 a year at least. It's going to be by 19, I'm sorry, you didn't give you the date, by, ni- by 2037. Yeah. The United States has stopped building, really. They're building now only small reactors, which are good for the United States. And many, um, what they call them, uh, mo- small modular reactors. Mm. You can ship them. You can put them on platforms, put them up and down the coast. You can, it, it's a very effective, but you have to build a lot of them to really have impact on the whole climate picture for the world. And that's what this movie addresses, the world, not just England and the United States. Yes. I'm sorry, I've told you too much, probably no, no. too well, fast. Well, very fortunate. And as I a scientific ignoramus, I, I learned a lot from watching the film uh, because I'm woefully informed about nuclear energy and physics and so on. But, Fernando, I did think, watching it, it is very educational in style, in format. I mean, it felt like an educational film. Was that a very deliberate thing that you did while making it? Well, I th- because I was teaching myself. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> I was learning as I was going along. I knew nothing about it. Yes. I think that this is quite... We tried to make it as more explicit as we could. Yes. And as Oliver said before, it's something that for a ninth grader or like, you know, eighth grader, yeah. that they can digest it so we can go that This is not a movie that we did for the gold. We did it for people to see it because it's an important subject to be seen. And the fact that I have Oliver touring Europe, going to many festivals, Transylvania, Italy, everywhere, just to put the word out and to explain the importance of the subject, this was the goal of the film. We need to get this film out and we need the help to get this film out. He still, over lunch, told me, like, you know, we have other films to make. We need to get the message out. So that is the importance of this film, for people to look at it, for, yes. for, for eyeballs. Yeah. Well, Oliver, I think I was very interested in the part about sort of the American left and the way that, you know, as you say, the, uh, the beast in, the fil- in this film probably is, is the oil companies who, as you document, effectively created an anti-nuclear movement yeah. on the left. And you talk about the Sierra Club. Oh, yeah. Could, could you go into a bit of detail about what that means? Because you obviously come from the American left. <laughs> yeah, but uh, let's not confuse the issues because nuclear is a apolitical issue. In, in America and in England, the conservatives and the liberals, the Democrats and the Republicans, they, they're bipartisan. Uh, coming, uh, Congress is bipartisan. Very few can oppose it because they know scientists have taught them that nuclear works you know it's question of building and and quantitative decision how much can you build and how much money can you put in that's the problem in the u.s we don't put enough in and in england too by the way but you're doing something at least in england something new and the new technology is coming along here as the decades go you know it gets better and better and the more you build the better it gets that's the way standardization has always been the way to do this the united states never did that we we built uh, we built the most reactors in the world close to 100 in the us during those years when eisenhower and kennedy were pushing it and up through the 70s and into the 80s we were building but never standardized. It was always a different deal. Westinghouse was, it was, America's a capitalist society, so Westinghouse got into the business, and they went bankrupt, and General Electric is still in the business, and doing a good job with Hitachi and so forth. But General Electric is a gigantic company, and they build wind turbines, and they also build 
drilling equipment of all kinds. So they're also in the oil business. And what I'm saying is it's the nuclear is a small compartment compared to those departments in Westinghouse. So that is a real issue, the way the American society works. Whereas in Russia and China, they have big agencies. Rosatom in Russia, 250,000 people work there and they're trained engineers. This is a very solid workforce. In order to create this, Japan, Korea created it, standardized. It was a trained workforce. So when all the, when you start disbanding this stuff like Germany did, when taking it down, you lose the workforce. It takes training and it takes time because this is a, like every business, like chemicals, it's a dangerous business. You have to handle the materials safely Mm. and safety is crucial, but you can't, it's not a zero risk business. There's always, you can't just, you cannot have any progress in the world unless you take some goddamn risk, which unfortunately the world is becoming less, in the West anyway, is becoming less and less, what do you call it, adventurous uh, or smart. But uh, what's happened is unfortunately we can't build anything in the U.S. It seems like everything goes way over budget. The Tappan Zee Bridge, the... Uh, the uh, the San Francisco Oakland deal they 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 send uh, they send that bridge the parts were built in China and legoed over to the United States and put together but there, it was Chinese coal that made that work mm. it wasn't U S uh, so California boasts that it has it doesn't do anything uh, to harm the environment but it's a lie because they use Chinese made uh, materials yes uh, Fernando uh, there is a lot of there's a, quite a lot of optimism in the film, in a way, isn't there? Exactly. Uh, because it's about progress and about the sort of obstacles to progress that have come up. And I was, I was quite moved by a lot of the images, uh, the sort of Eisenhower, talk, Eisenhower speeches, and a lot of the imagery around that very optimistic period. It's almost utopian. Uh, the, the sort of imagery about well, we, we started with the, the we started highly negative at the beginning. You yes, the film is structured to give you okay. You want all these people are going to it's the film is not about the anti nuclear pro nuclear because that's it's an irrelevant question now. We're we're beyond that in a way. We have to build nuclear and people know it. They're going to accept it more and more. The question is how late in time will they accept it? In the 2040s, it'll be really hard to make this. You know, we're existing inside this IPCC frame 2020 to 2050. That's what they said. In 30 years, you've got to hit net zero carbon emissions. Net zero is very difficult to hit. Yeah. China has at least pledged to go to net zero by 2060. They're 10 years late, and they're building this huge... They have the largest program going now. The Russians keep building. They keep exporting to these new countries in the Mideast, all over uh, Arab countries, uh, Eurasian countries. They're very active in, in that field. Turkey, they just built something gigantic in Turkey. So in other words, it's kept building the... the the world doesn't have to all do the same thing. The United States has stopped building, except for the Georgia thing, which is coming online very shortly and will be very effective. That's We're talking about gigawatts here in Georgia. You know, this is big stuff. Yeah. We're not talking about SMRs. and We're talking about the gigantic stuff, which is most people are scared of building now, and it will probably become difficult, more and difficult. But I see the world becoming more using more uh, small modular reactors and they will be using that in in concert with wind in concert with sun solar these parks will be built but it it, it depends on where you are if in, you're in india you're going to build more solar if you're in denmark you're going to build more wind uh, germany tried both 
Germany spent a fortune on renewables. I don't know if you know. They spent. That's why they're kind of they're broke now, practically, because <laughs> they're going to be broke because of they they have no more gas. Well, there was an amazing statistic about that. You mentioned the film about the the sheer size of that solar panel. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. In Germany, in this great period of optimism of renewables, four hundred ninety-five thousand solar panels. Gigantic, 500 acres. That's huge for Germany. And they all, that's huge. And meanwhile, they tear down the nuclear facility. It turned out several of them. Let's say a nu- the nuclear facility is 100 acres. So you're 100 acres versus 500 acres. And they put up these 495,000 sun panels, which produce electricity about 11% of the time because it's maximum capacity for them. They don't get much sun yeah. in, in Germany. In the winter, very little. And... As you know, in in England, it's it's you have wind in England, but you don't get the. So what happens with Germany? They end up producing per year a hundred times more electricity from a nuclear plant, which is one fifth the size of this solar plant, which one fifth the size and one hundred times more electricity produced by nuclear. So you know, it's the mathematics don't don't make sense. The film is very clear about the mathematics. Yes, a bright future. Yes. The planet is melting. It is. Yes. You know, we have hurricanes in the Caribbean. You have the storms in the U.S. You, you know, like you have all these floods in Italy. Alternatives, energies, as Oliver says, are great, but are not enough. So we need to get fast, very fast, all these kind of solutions in nuclear to the mixed. Yes. And that's what we're trying to do with this film. You, you do address, in the film, you do address the concerns about nuclear. The safety issue, I think, you address very effectively, and Oliver's already spoken about that. You do talk about the waste issue a little bit, but I wondered whether you wanted to do more on that, because it's, I mean, obviously nuclear waste is a significant concern. Well, about, I did talk about it, but it's, yeah. it's encapsulated. It's the what-if gang. The what-if gang is always there yes. on, under any circumstances, whether you're developing a, a cereal or a, a new piece of pottery there's a what if factor yes and they always go to waste because that's the what if in 200 years or 500 years or a thousand years we have all this crap in the ground and it's going to destroy us well they had that in Gabon because it's a huge radioactive site there for 2,000 years 5,000 years it's been there and they look at it and it hasn't moved. The yes. radioactive waste decays, as I said to you. you it did, decays. You did say, yeah. 40 years later, you're down, 99% of the power of it is gone. It's a very uh, structured industry. You can't hide anything from the. They're so scared about it that over scared in a way. But meanwhile, they pollute the whole atmosphere with waste. What is this? We're using oil waste, coal waste, yes. and, and gas waste. Methane is just as bad as, as for the short-term environment as, as coal. So we're really screwed because we, we back up uh, the, German, uh, the German... What do they do if they're, uh, they're up 11% of the time on a solar park? They don't cut, get off the grid. They keep the grid going. But how do they keep it going? They use gas. Yes. And gas has methane in it or coal. You, do, you, did, you did address that. Forgive me. But, but I think you, one example you look at is France, yes. uh, which is a sort of nuclear success story in a way. Yes. Um, but it did occur to me that France's nuclear power stations have been – a lot of them have been closed in the last year. And that is a, a potential practical problem with nuclear power yes. is that every, every so often you will have to 
update, That's upgrade correct. these yeah. stations. And what do you do if you're entirely dependent on nuclear? What do you do? I mean, I suppose you could phase it. Well, you re- um, you have to remodel and you have to re you have to replace. You have good maintenance yeah. now. EDF in France has had a significant problem this year, but of course they've had great results from nuclear generators from 19... De Gaulle built them from 1965 to 1980. He built 57 reactors, but they didn't really keep up. They didn't do the proper maintenance, partly because it is... The whole issue in France was a bit between the EDF, which is a private corporation, and the government, which supports also EDF. But in other words, the stockholders want profit at the EDF. It's a mixed company. Yes. And now it's fully state. And, And that was done, I think trying a strategic reason. But the situation is that before it was for profit as well. So mm-hmm. you need to balance the greedness against the goal of supplying electricity. And do you think then that uh, the state has to be the entity that builds and controls nuclear power? Hopefully, progressively, the problem has been in the United States. The Nuclear Regulatory Commission hasn't hasn't uh, authorized any building in so many years. They become like a a blockage rather than a progressive bureaucracy. FDA is a good uh, federal drug administration. By comparison, is releasing all kinds of new drugs. Some people say too many and this and that into the atmosphere because. The idea is to keep it flowing. Some people complain that the big pharmaceuticals control it and all this, but at least they're putting new drugs on the market. We're not putting out new reactors. Now, they're going to test a few now in this 2026, I've heard, 2025, 28, uh, for these SMRs. What's good in America is the innovation side, which is we have 70 now, 70 new startups which means smaller people are coming in. As I told you before, Westinghouse, for example, no, I mean, they went bankrupt. Uh, General Electric has a SMR doing a good job on SMRs. They have a new one coming up, which will be ready in 27, I think. And that could be a good solution because it could be standardized. But because they don't have an emphasis on prof, they don't have the same emphasis because they have such larger divisions in oil drilling equipment, all this, they're mo- they may not be in a rush. That- so that's why these startups are important. They're, again, these are low capitalized companies, they're $100 million, $10 million, and they are doing a lot of research and a lot of work. So there is hope. But at the same time, you have to keep in mind, in Russia, they've done the SMRs very well for a long time. Through a state company. Through a state company. Through a state, yeah. And in China, they have SMRs. They developed the Walong and the Linglong. This is a very funny moment because the Walong, China always used to copy, they say, from us. Copy from Canada, U.S., copied from French design. But now they have their own design. And they built this wonderful big big uh, reactor called the Walong, which could be a real could, – they could standardize and turn out dozens and dozens of them. And they built alongside it the Linglong. I guess they Linglong, Walong, they're kind of the same design. I'm not sure of the details. But the Linglong is another beauty. That's an SMR. And that's also – they're building these amount of reactors, 170 reactors in the next – by 2038. That's pretty good. In, in Europe uh, and in Britain, there's been a lot of concern about energy. And so I was wondering, this is actually quite an opportune time for this yes. film to come out because – it's focused a lot of minds on how we get our energy and prices spiking through the roof because of the war in Ukraine. 
is that is that was that part of your motivation to do the film, or was it? Well, was we it started in, before we that. We started way yeah. before. Yeah, yeah. Well, our, our issue was a bigger issue than. I mean, frankly, any war is is a detriment to society. It puts every society back. And this war will put us back, put everybody back. It's not, it's not good for the world. Mm. We're, but we're concerned of the global issue, which is how do we get more clean energy into the world? And this, it, it, in a way, it, it does cut the dependence on Russian oil, uh, Russian gas, which is good because gas is not good. Mm. But at the same time, like, Germany is in a hole now because they just don't have, they don't seem to have the, they're not going to be the industrial heavyweight of Europe anymore. That's over. Yes. You've touched on Chernobyl, but the the threat of a nuclear disaster because of the war is often it's overplayed. Used. It's, it's overplayed. Overplayed. Yeah. overplayed. Way overplayed. We've talked to so many scientists. I mean, you'd have to have a direct hit, you know, because these casks, the way it's protected, these containers, they're strong. They can resist an airplane that like a nine eleven type attack mm. crashing into it. You know, unless you do something from the inside and you get people in, and I didn't. There's, I'm, I'm not an expert, but I'm sure you can find a way to make a miserable explosion. But it, at worst, it would be the type of explosion that was at Chernobyl. Yeah. At worst, and that's not the end of the world. It's not Hiroshima or Nagasaki where you released a huge amount of high radiation, dangerous radiation, into the world. And the United States did that. It was a horrible horrible you low level radiation is background radiation that's what we live in i repeat that to you yes and that's what we what that's why not that many people died at fukushima nobody died from radiation or frankly the numbers were very low at chernobyl compared to the possibilities and and, and fossil fuel energy is the sort of subtext of the the war in ukraine and it is often the subtext of a lot of wars i suppose again perhaps being slightly too utopian here do you do you think that nuclear offers more possibilities of peace? I think that nuclear offer possibilities of survival yes. to the species and to the world, because people are putting, if people will put as much as they put into selling us applications that we have to pay $7.25 a month to provide us with a clean grid, we will solve this in five seconds. Uh, yes. I think that the focus is gone. Right. I, I, that, may not, that may be too optimistic. I, you know, each, these grids are complicated and they're all, the European grid is complicated. The French problem is because they share the grid with Germany and, these, and other countries that are non-nuclear. It, there's all kinds of trade-offs, you know. It, so every grid has to find its level of working, frankly. And that includes the new company, the countries that are coming on, the Kazakhstans of the world. They have to, everyone has to regulate their own grid according to their interests, which depends on where geographically you are, how much sun do you get, how much wind, all all these factors. India, for that reason, can do a lot with solar and and less with wind. But India is also building nuclear reactors, but they have a huge problem of population and demand. And that demand, that lowest level poverty class is a demanding electricity they want what we have they see it on television they see it on they know what the west has and the people are going to want that energy so we're facing this factor where the need for electricity is going to grow two three four maybe even five times the amount that we're using now and electricity as we pointed out is just part of the problem because we have all the transport so we have to electrify everything, including finding new ways to electrify transport and cement factories and steel factories and 
agricultural production, which is enormous of ammonia, stuff that goes into the air, more waste, mm. the waste that we, they fear from, from uh, nuclear, just compared to agricultural waste is nothing. Uh, so we have all this junk in the air, chemicals. These are dangerous materials. No one's kidding. You have to handle them correctly, and the, there are all kinds of regulations to handle them well. We need that. We, we support that. Nuclear should have the same thing, but it should not be overburdened the way it has been by certain governments, green governments, green parties come in in Sweden and Germany, and they, they really make it impossible for a nuclear industry to even exist because they tax it or else they completely ban it. Yeah. You, you two have both have together done uh, quite a few documentaries. I was wondering, first of all, about the process and where the ideas come from. I mean, how does, how does this one come about? Was it just from, from the reading book. the book? Yeah, no, it was my concern, my ch- future, and my, you know, as I said, it's a concern, it should be a concern of everybody, and it, there are so many examples of it getting harder, and it seems to me there are more hurricanes now than... But then, but you, even if you don't believe in climate change, I would argue with you that it doesn't, even if you don't, and a lot of conservatives don't, even if you don't, nuclear energy is still vital to the clean energy supply. But then, do you, having read the book, do you then ring Fernando and say, we've got to do this? Yeah, or, exactly. And, then, I, and were you on board from the, I, We have to do this. We have to do it, yeah. Yeah, he wasn't wild about the idea because he saw the difficulty of getting this done as well as distributed, and it's been a haul. Very difficult. Yeah. I'm saying it's, you have to focus. It's been, how do you say? It's not, we haven't had an easy time of it. We made Untold History of the United States together. He made Castro interviews with me. He did uh, Chavez interviews. We did Palestine interviews. We did uh, Untold History. was 12 hours. took me two and a half years. And, and the tough one. And then the Putin interviews was another. Whew, 30 hours becomes 20 hours. And we became, uh, that was distributed by Showtime in the United States and in various countries in England. I, Sky in Sky. England. Uh, and I'm glad it went out because... It was the first time we heard a the so-called enemy speak for himself. And if you look at American uh, stuff on Putin, it's all been dubbed, <laughs> dubbed like a cheap Italian movie of the old days, you know, with voices. And who are the voices that they use for? It's so poorly done. They they usually bring in a growly bear bear-like voice. <laughs> who doesn't sound like him at all. He's, he talks in a very reasonable voice. So it's, it's, there's such a distortion in media about that. So th- I'm glad we were able to get, at least put that version of his... That's him talking in his own words. And well, that's very important to hear. I'm sure, I'm sure you're probably sick to death of being asked about the Putin thing, but I think it would be journalistically remiss of me not to, not to touch on it. I mean, first of all, could you both give me your sense of his character? Because, as, as you say, he's not... The, yeah. the sort of monster that we want. But I'd like to know what you thought of him. Did, I mean, you must have met a lot of people in your life. What were your impressions of him? I was very that? impressed with him, frankly, and I, I make no bones about it. I'm not taking sides here. I'm, this is trying a bigger issue than, than I like him or I don't like him. That's bullshit to me. It's, he's a statesman. Everything he said in that interview is reasonable and it should be listened to. And, of course, that's been part of the problem. All the Russian objections to the Western approaches to Ukraine and NATO have been not even heard. They haven't even been acknowledged. There were so many warnings given that I'm, I'm shocked that our State Department, the U.S. State Department, the English, just didn't react to it. They treated it with contempt, I find. 
And I think that's the wrong way to deal with people. But having done documentaries on Ukraine, were you surprised when the invasion or special operation, if you want to call it that, were you surprised when that? Yes, to me, it took me by a big surprise. Yeah. It could be through the past, it could be understandable, but it took me to surprise because I wasn't expecting it. Mm. I was expecting a solution. And do you think it's a mis- it was a mistake by Putin? Time will judge. I am not him yeah. to you understand. I, I understand. T- time will judge. It's like, you know, like we, these things we see with history. Yeah. We don't see, you understand. I am not in the knowledge or in the position to say, you know, we're just getting information through Western media. We're getting one side of information. We're not getting the other side. I mean, Oliver is more eloquent and more informed than, than I am. So uh, time will judge. You understand? It's like the, the same, same things that when there was the invasion of Iraq with weapons of mass destruction. Yeah. You know, we all bought the, the circle of weapons of mass destruction. We got together. And then five years later, there were not weapons of mass destruction. Yeah. But, I mean, the war could be looked at in many different ways. Yes. Uh, Oliver, do you think this is Putin's Iraq? Is this a, a strategic mistake by him? Well, uh, not really, because this war started, in my opinion, in 2014. The coup d'etat the United States supported Mm. in Ukraine led to a complete change in mentality and regime change in Ukraine. Ukraine is a very important relationship with Russia right on the border. It's like if it happened to us, it would be Mexico and the United States, and we'd be freaking out because all of a sudden Mexico is extremely hostile to us making anti-American statements, which is really what's similar geographic situation. So plenty of warnings were given, plenty of warnings. I think if anything, he wasn't heard because there was a lack of respect hmm. for Russia. For some reason, it's there's a kind of a Russia phobia in the United States. And I've seen this when I was a child. I saw plenty of it with McCarthyism, but that was communism. This is not communism. This is a capitalist authoritarian regime trying to integrate with the world. And they were doing a hell of a good job, not only with gas, but with other trading. So we were in a much healthier position in the uh, even in the 2016 period. It seems to me that we were natural. There's no fundamental antagonism in a Russian towards America. You can travel all over Russia and you'll find that they're the generous and warm people. And uh, this thing has grown and grown and grown into a a crusade, uh, but it's been it's been fired up by, of course, very strong actors. And and Mr. Biden has done no favors to the world. Actually, he split the world. There was the world was one world, but now it because of Biden, in my opinion, China and Russia have gone another separated further, and other countries which are would prefer to be neutral or support the other have gone that way. So the world is divided into a camp, and now it's NATO against the world, and that's not a good position. It's not helpful for nuclear energy or any kind of progress that we can make in the world. I want to ask you about Biden, actually, and to come back to nuclear energy, but Biden is just on war in Biden. He is not a hawk, in a conventional sense, he's been hawkish about things, but he did withdraw America from Afghanistan, which was a uh, politically a, a, a risky thing to do. And although he has been hawkish to an extent said on Ukraine, it's always been sort of being shuffled into it, or it feels that way. When the war started, Biden was not very sabre rattling. He's not been. That's not true at all, because uh, I guess you didn't see what was going on underneath. 
No, he was surrounded by neo hawks, what they call hawks, and neo, neo what they call this neoconservative movement in the United States, yeah. which goes back to the 1990s and their new new pact for the new American century. And you have to go to the origins of the war in Iraq, as Fernando pointed out. Who are those? Pe- it's the same people over again, but with their different carbon copies of each other. Paul Wolfowitz is now Victoria Nuland. Mm. Uh, Victoria Nuland is Deputy Secretary of State. She's a hardcore, wants to dismember Russia and all that talk. You know, we want to weaken Russia. That's not a policy. Mm. That's not a strategy. That's just weaken Russia. We want to kill as many Russians as possible. It's a genocidal statement made, could have been made years ago by Hitler when he was attacking a certain population in Germany, you know? No, but I I hear what you're saying. But I think in a way it almost makes Biden more frightening on Ukraine because he's been quite... Well, opaque, but but he's been quite opaque okay. to you, to you, yeah. uh, because because I mean he did not. He's always been pushed into providing weapons, providing tanks. Maybe you'll say it's always the plan, but from a from a rhetorical point of view, he, he's he's led from behind, as it were. You know, that's the sort I, of talk. I think you have the wrong picture, but I'm, I appreciate yeah. what you're saying. But I, you really, I I've been. You have to follow American society, and I've been following this issue for. The neoconservative element is where did they come from? They, they didn't. They were not voted in, but they have controlled our foreign policy with a very strong anti-China, anti-Russia uh, point of view. Very strong, mm. and those people are in charge. They made this into a situation that was inevitable. In other words, withdrawing from the going back to the very beginning with George Bush, drawing, withdrawing from the uh, miss, uh, the missile the missile treaty, the anti-ballistic missile treaty that we had. That was a disaster, and they've with they've. We lied back then. We said we're, 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 we're destroying the anti-missile uh, treaty because we, we believe that we have to have f- Europe protected against Iran. That was Iran was the issue and not Russia. So as a, you're allowed to put missiles up to protect yourself against Iran, but we don't, we're not doing it against Russia. That was a blatant lie, diplomatic lie. And it, it covers the, the kind of deceit that has been behind all the movements that we've seen from 2002, including the Munich conference in 2006, where you see, uh, you see in our movie, uh, you see John McCain snickering, snickering as Mr. Putin is talking. I mean, literally, they have contempt. They don't listen to them. And it goes on and on and on. You have incident after incident after incident. And it just seems to me blowing up the pipeline, this, that, everything you can to bring this to a more heated state. And Mr. Biden, you have to remember, has been a cold warrior since the beginning, going back to the 1980s. He's never, he's been very strongly anti-Russian. I voted for the guy. What a stupid idiot I was. I really fell for his, I thought, here's an old man. He's, he's going to, that's good. We need a little pacification. We need peace in the world. That's what I was voting for. I was dead wrong. I didn't realize he was bringing in all the neoconservatives. He brought this secretary of state. He's, he's a nobody. Hillary Clinton's group. Hillary Clinton was a very aggressive secretary of state, and she didn't, you know what happened. She, she didn't win the election. I believe she was a sore loser, and she attacked. Mm. She attacked Trump for being what? For being an agent of the Russian state, which is bullshit. And we had three years of Russiagate in the United States. That is really depressing. If you had to live through Russia in the United States, I don't. I'm sure it was true in Britain. I mean, the the, the prosecution of Trump continues. Yes, and it is the, the national security establishment that seems to be taking him down now with these classified documents. Thing. What what do you make of that? I, I make of it what you're suggesting. 
Absolutely. Uh, and the, I think that's it's provoked the opposite reaction to what they want. They want to destroy Trump, I believe. Uh, definitely, he's a threat to their way of doing business. He's a threat to NATO. He said all these things. NATO was this very suspect organization. What was its usage after 1991? We still don't understand. We didn't ever state anything clearly to the American people what our strategy and our policy is. We really are interested, America, in dismembering Russia. There's, this is a f- obsession, and it's a wrong obsession because it's going to lead to world war. It's not going to happen because the Russians are a very proud people. In fact, I could point out to you, and I just have to make one point. Maybe it's important I should make it, that Putin was a, mo- was a moderate compared to in, the, in the reaction to the, 19, the 2016 coup. A moderate, mm. because that's when many Russians feel he should have done something, moved in, and actually protected the people in Donbass and Lugansk from the f- 6,000 killings that ensued. And it was evident even back at the coup. In Odessa, they burned people alive. In, in, uh, it was all kinds of crime going on, never reported on in the Western media. So there's a very strong Ukrainian, uh, Ukrainian element and a very strong Russian ethnic element. And so uh, to my mind, it's a civil war. And that's why Putin had to move. He couldn't if he had done nothing in 22, he'd be out now because that's the way it works in Russia. You get removed. Mm. You don't, it may, 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 may not be the democratic vote way, but you get removed. Khrushchev got removed. Uh, every, every Russian leader that has crossed a certain line gets removed if somehow he doesn't end up in premiership anymore. It's about power for the Russian people. You have to run the country. And if you're pre- running the country means protecting Russian interests. Yeah. That's very important. Well, let's talk about Trump and nuclear, because Trump was actually probably more yeah, he positive. Want, he did not want war with the Soviet, with the Russians. He doesn't want war with the Russians, but on nuclear... Did, with anyone. Did, but he, well, he was, I mean, as a foreign he policy was, president, wouldn't you say Donald Trump was one of the better presidents America has had in terms well, of foreign a, policy? I could argue with you on that, too, yeah. because there's a lot of people who love Trump and they're going to vote for him. I'm not taking sides on Trump, because... To me, he's a erratic man, and it's dangerous. But at the same time, Biden is also yeah. very dangerous. But he didn't dangerous. start a single war. No, America has no. He didn't two, end Afghanistan. Has no op, in America. There's no two-party system. There's no, there's no. It's a consensus for war. It's a consensus for building up the military-industrial complex. That's what's dangerous. Trump was horrible policy on China. He started the whole thing against China, and it's now it's reached. Military It was an economic with Trump. Now it's about Taiwan, which is ridiculous, because actually the, nobody's asking the Taiwanese what they want. The real the people there, not the uh, party. There's going to be an election. Hopefully that'll change. But that whole issue of China has become uh, another military hot point. Mm. This is so crazy in this modern world where we're not really fighting for territory anymore. We're fighting over populations. What do populations want? They don't want to see Ukrainians are killing Russian ethnics. That is evident throughout. It continues. So it's basically a civil war. It's a border dispute. People who feel very strongly about climate change didn't like Trump. I think that's fair to say. Generalization possibly. But yeah, I agree with that. That was horrible. Uh, what he said about Trump digs coal. But but he was open to nuclear power. And, and I mean, he proposed nuclear power. Yeah, because he didn't think about it as as climate control. He doesn't think about it as climate. And he was very pro the coal industry too. But but what about Joe Biden? I mean, he has, he, there's obviously He's huge. He's been pro-nuclear. Huge investment in uh, He's made uh, energy. Uh, although he cut back on it. 
with the Inflation Reduction Act, I think yeah. it was. No, he cut back on the commitment, but at least it's a commitment. So was Obama. So was um, Trump. So there's been a. It's a bipartisan issue in the United States. It's all these administrations. Bush was pro-nuclear, and that doesn't make him the enemy. It makes him pro-nuclear power, not pro-nuclear war. It's a difference, as I was trying to say. They're being conflated all the time because of the word nuclear. So maybe it's the word nuclear, but I didn't... We call this nuclear now aggressively and to say, look, now, we got to deal with this issue because if otherwise you're going to confound this for the rest of time. Yes. Well, as you, as you both said, it's, it's a common sense issue. Uh, yes. And it's not necessarily political. And there should be bipartisan support for it. And yet progress doesn't seem to have been made. What, what are the obstacles? Fear. Big loving of the fossil fuels still. And ignorance, mostly, you know, because people are ignorant. And that's why this film is great, it's handy, and it must be watched to put the message across. Yeah. I could quite see, I thought the points about the lobbying from the nuclear, from the oil industries were, were well made. But you're, you're not sort of lobbying on behalf of the nuclear industry, are you? No. No. We're we not. <laughs> they don't do a very good job. They, of- because they do a very... I will say lousy joy in communicating. They're kind of autistic. Yes. But we're saying that with alternative energies is not enough. You need to get nuclear in the mix. Yes. We went to Davos and it wasn't even on the agenda. Davos spends a lot of time talking about the future, blah, 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 the economic development, all that crap. And they don't even have nuclear on the on the agenda. What a joke. Mm. You see, because it's the ugly sister. It's the... It's the one you don't want to talk about. That's what, So we have to talk about it. We have to drag it into the light and say, hey, it exists. It's been existing. And it works. So let's get real here. Stop the bullshit. That's yeah. basically what we're trying to do. So we are lobbyists in a way of stopping the bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> lobbyists. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, there is also a, you saw the Brazilian TikToker. Yes. You know, which there is a lot of people which are highly motivated. So... It's not about, comp- you know, the, the, the industry itself is extremely difficult. Yeah. yeah. You know, but we need to get this, we need to help them. And by the way, you never mentioned how, how films have hurt the industry. Yeah. You never mentioned all the horror films in the 1950s with the radiation monsters and people with three heads or monsters that were terrifying to young kids. Yeah. That gave the bad rap to radiation right away. And on top of that, Jane Fonda, Three Mile Island, she she comes out at the same time with China Syndrome, which scares people to death, makes it Three Mile Island into a, into a nuclear disaster again, which it wasn't even close to. Nobody yes. died. Containment structure worked. And then there was Silkwood. And then the, uh, HBO made that wonderfully horrible series, Chernobyl, in 2015, which mischaracterized the the accident. Yes. And uh, we, we go into it in the film. There's a Russian scientist who's in charge of the cleanup. He describes is a very professional cleanup the way they did it. But yeah, they lied about the the the, uh, the explosion in Northern Europe because they were ashamed, because they were embarrassed, and it was wrong of them. But it was a decaying government. It was the the one that ended in with Gorbachev became the new prime minister at that time, and they shouldn't have done that, but it wasn't like, you know, the, the, the way it's shown in the in the series. And have you got another project in in the works? How or can in, I? How in... can I if there's not going to be a world? Uh, <laughs> yeah, we did a. I did a, We did a documentary together on Lula of Brazil. Right, yeah. Lula da Silva, and he's a wonderful man. Uh, he won two. He, we knew him back when he went through Chavez when we did. Uh, 
south of the border, and we went back after he was discredited and disgraced during his period of that, and we interviewed him. He was running for president, and mm. guess what? He barely won against this right-wing uh, demagogue, uh, Bolsonaro. Yeah. But it's close still. But we, he's a figure of peace. He can be a world figure the way uh, the South African president was. Mandela. Mandela. Mm. And you don't you think allegations of corruption against him are propaganda? <laughs> there is something that is lawfare. We- weaponization of the law, which yes. is new, which is called lawfare. Yes, and which is quite popular in the region where I come from. Yes, <laughs> and you know I think that when people cannot do with weapons, they're doing it with law. Well, it's interesting you say that because there's a lot of talk in Britain, and I hope you don't find this offensive. Yes, that uh, we're all becoming Latin America now. Yes, because uh, you look at what's going on with Trump. You look at Nicola Sturgeon in Scotland. You look yes. at Boris Johnson. Even it, what we do now is we pe- when people lose office or when people want to be ousted from office, we pursue them through the law or through investigations. Absolutely, I think that is if if it comes with the dancing and with the other culture, it will be great. <laughs> If it's only just about the weaponization of the law, you know, it's it's, it's pathetic. It's violence through the law, basically, getting rid of somebody. And that's going to go around and around and again. So the issue is, you know, why South America, they've tried it, Bolivia, Peru, all all of these countries are being challenged. The United States recognized another uh, president for Venezuela for several years until nobody believed it. Yeah, uh, you know it's it's going, and they're using it everywhere. Lawfare is in vogue. Accuse him of bribery first, get rid of him. Yeah, um, and they did it against Assange. Russia. Uh, Assange is is a horrible case. But what? But I mean, I suppose one of the reasons a lot of people just go along with it when it's Donald Trump is because they hate Donald Trump. They don't object on the principle. I mean, yeah. do you think there's a need for Americans who may not like Donald Trump on the left? to say what's happening to I Dr. I think they're hurting themselves because they're making such an effort to destroy him that it's so it becomes manifest that it's transparent, yeah. that it helps them in a strange way because American people are, do like the underdog and they fight. And they see this guy being prosecuted to death. And he is a former president. And he did, you know, that elect, elections have been in doubt in the United States. And he has the right to voice his discontent with that election because we had a 2000 election. I lived through that. And I thought this was the disaster. It was clear to me that they stopped the vote in, in Florida when this, the conservative Justice Scalia, I remember him, said stop the vote and he won. The, he brought the court, Supreme Court into it. They were able to stop the vote, which is unbelievable in the United, that they had the right to do that. Mm. Al Gore would have won, not that he would have, I think he would have avoided the excesses of George Bush Uh, he would not have declared the world you're either against us or for us, which is what Joe Biden has done by dividing the world into two camps, Mm. for us or against us. Do you think the 2020 election was entirely fair and legitimate? That is an interesting election. I don't know enough about it, frankly, to comment. It seems to me that uh, certainly everybody was surprised by the size of the vote that Trump got. Mm. So if if they were against him, there was a lot of loose time afterward. Perhaps it was too much. Perhaps we have to think, rethink the absentee ballot. Certainly, I think we should rethink the uh, the electoral ballot because I do think it's dangerous 
not to have paper ballots and the, the people it's all throughout i mean i th- i think you should just take a paper ballot and at the same time you can vote digitally yeah. why not uh, also the a mixed system how many ballots came in after the election i i mean somebody told me i don't know if it's true again because i'm not an expert that there were more black votes for biden than there were for obama yeah yeah i think that is true is that yeah. true yeah yeah that's ridiculous Well, we must end it there. But uh, Oliver and Fernando, thank you very much for talking to me and thank you very much for being on Thank you for being tolerant and giving us the time and being friendly to it. Thank you very much for listening to the Americano podcast. I would like to thank my brilliant producer, Natasha Faroz, and the rest of the Spectator's broadcast team. If you like the podcast, please leave a review on whatever platform you are listening to us on. Thank you very much. God bless America.